Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orenjsofer. Thanks so much. So how's it going? <laughs> what's, uh, what's coming up and uh, do you have any, any questions? And if we could have a couple of the volunteers, uh, the mics, that would be great. I'll go first. <laughs> um, you know, I when you said uh, heart rate, um, wait, what was it? Variability. Variability. I've been experiencing a lot of that lately. And um, what do you mean by that? Well, my heart, you know, pounds occasionally. Okay. And I can't make the connection um, as to the reasons why. Uh-huh. And I'm just wondering if. Um, you have any more feedback about that uh, <laughs> process or uh-huh. experience? Yeah. Um, well, a few things. Uh, one, I don't, I don't think that uh, having your heart pound is what's meant by heart rate variability necessarily. I think that that's uh, heart rate variability is a is a measurement of um, the uh, the changes in the rhythm of the heart. Um, and I don't. I, I wouldn't necessarily connect those two. Um, one, I would make sure you check with your doctor. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, we we're sensitive creatures, and we can be affected by uh, all manner of things. And sometimes what's affecting us is clear, and other times it's not. You know, sometimes something happens and we miss it, like we get an email or we think about something that activates us and, uh, and then it, it moves out of our awareness but the physiological effects are still present of anxiety or fear or feeling stirred up but the referent is no longer consciously available and um, so that can happen. And then, and sometimes we can find it. It's like, wait, why am I agitated? What happened? And we can trace it back. Other times we can't. Um, so, regardless of the cause, what I would encourage is to see, okay, like, how am I relating to this? You know, and to see if there can be an orientation of kindness or compassion. So, if there's some distress in relation to that experience, you know. Can you be with that experience of distress with care and friendliness in the same way that if it were uh, a companion or friend of yours who were experiencing this, you might kind of put your hand on their shoulder and say, hey, you're all right? Everything okay? Come, let's just sit for a little bit. And you just be with them without trying to change it or fix it. You would just be there with them. And so we can cultivate that same sense of a caring presence with ourself. Yeah. So um, when you're constantly bombarded daily by just 
negativity. You can't get away from it. Just hold it a little closer, yeah. Here, a little better. So at work or on the news, mm -hmm. um, when you're constantly bombarded with that negativity, mm -hmm. how do you find the place to mm -hmm. kind of recenter yourself? Mm -hmm. When I mean, it's coming from all directions, mm -hmm. and you can't get away from it. Mm -hmm. You can't, you know, go to your office. You, I mean, mm -hmm. what is your suggestion for mm -hmm. finding a peaceful place to center yourself? Yeah. There's a, there's a saying in the Zen tradition and says... Uh, when the when the ten thousand things all come at once, try not to control them. So there's a there's there's a way. I mean, there are a few things that I'll share, but there's a, there's the primary one is that there's a way in which, when we find ourselves in the flood of our life experience, that we we try to get away from it and find a place of peace outside of or separate from those stimuli. And that the, the, the true place of peace is within all of it by not resisting. It's like being able to surf you know, it's by it's by learning how to ride those waves and kind of be um, uh, very flexible and dynamic that we find a, a, a place of balance and peace by letting it roll off of us by not not actually uh, like in martial arts if you um, if you become rigid in any way. You you give your uh, your opponent um, uh, uh, a, a a place to have purchase against you, and then to kind of control or dominate the situation. But if you stay fluid and and responsive, there's nowhere to actually land. So the the aim of the whole kind of constellation of practices in Buddhism is to develop a mind and a heart that is fluid and, and unattached, which means it doesn't stick, it doesn't snag anywhere, such that things kind of pass through or roll over us without the impact. So there's a certain amount of the impact that comes from our own resistance to the experience. Um, so that's kind of just like a general orientation. That said, I think it's a, you know, it's a, it's a rare being that can just kind of like learn that on the fly. That's why we have places of refuge, like the national parks or, you know, temples like Spirit Rock or where we can come and actually step out of that environment and rest the heart. And so there's a certain uh, aspect of our our weekend together that the, the some of the cultivation of resilience is is just being in a place that's beautiful and quiet 
where no one's yelling at us or, or demanding anything and the phone's not ringing and there's no traffic. It's, you know, it's like, and our nervous system can just start to detox and come back into balance on its own. And so one of the skills that we develop is the capacity to really soak in the nourishment of times like this. And this is a little bit what I'm, what I'm trying to encourage in each of you is that ability to not just do the practices, but also to listen to what's needed and to really absorb uh, that which is nourishing for you. And so in doing that, there are two things that we're developing. One, the obvious aspect of like filling the well and getting nourished. But at the same time, we're also strengthening the very capacity to be nourished, which is really important to learn how to settle and unwind and receive. And so, you know, if you take these three days and really hold that as a time to explore, what's it like for myself to let myself be nourished by the space, by the trees, uh, by the, the circle, by the practices, by this very gentle repetition of these intentions. Then over time we get back in our life and maybe you, maybe you just have a minute you go to the restroom and <laughs> close the door. You know, no one's going to come knock on the door and be like, hey, what are you doing in there? You know? <laughs> um, and then you learn to just use that time to, to recharge to the degree that you can. And this is one of the reasons why having a daily practice is so important and so essential. Is that, is that we, we cultivate, we build up that resilience day by day by carving out little windows of time. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Other uh, thoughts or comments? Yeah, Philip. So I have a question on how to um, implement metta in the daily meditation practice. Mm -hmm. Because so where I come from is in a book where, where it said from Bhante Gauratana, mm -hmm. mindfulness in plain English, which says start uh, each meditation with a metta session. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing this, but because I also brought the restlessness and the drive onto the cushion, this gave also my meta kind of a forced flavor. So mm -hmm. I'm always in my mind, oh, now I should move on. Oh, I'm still with my parents. Oh, I should get to my friends. <laughs> so, oh my God, how much time did I lose already? So right. um, kind of ticking off the boxes. So maybe do you have a tip on that? How sure. to first implement meta in the meditation and then how to do it without having this forced flavor? Yeah, yeah, thank you. So... One of the changes that happens over the course of our life of spiritual practice for each of us is um, a refinement of the motivation 
for practice. And this is something that continues to deepen uh, in all of us until full awakening, when all traces of uh, self-centeredness and greed and aversion are uprooted. So oftentimes we, we come into practice with, with a very driven motivation, and that might be you know, trying to get something or trying to become a better person or trying to prove something or, you know, mixed in with other wholesome motivations. And uh, what we start to notice, which I'm hearing you talk about, is that those are not helpful, you know, and they can get us to a certain point, but then we start to realize that this is really stressful and exhausting and not helpful. So... um, the more you notice that, uh, the the need to find a different way of approaching the practice becomes apparent. And so, like for example, today, have you had any moments of being able to connect with the practice with more ease, without that forcing? Um, yeah, I, so the both practices resonated a lot with me. Okay. So great. So so then the so then that shows that there's something in you that knows how to pay attention without struggling. And so then it's just a process of just getting more and more familiar with that, remembering it, coming back to it, strengthening it. Okay. Um, and you'll forget, and you'll start pushing again, and then all of a sudden you'll realize that your fists are clenched or your jaw is tight, and you'll go, oh wait, okay, and then you relax, and that's why it's called practice. We just (laughs) do it again and again until we learn. Um, As far as structuring your daily practice with metta, there are many, many ways to do it. It's very flexible. Some, um, Some people will take metta as their primary practice for their daily practice, and they'll do their entire sitting loving-kindness practice. Maybe they'll just do five minutes at the beginning or five minutes at the end. Um, uh, some teachers will recommend like going through the categories um, and there's benefit to that. Um, I would encourage you to try different things and see what works for you. Um, there's, there's a lot to be said for just doing, so if you're going to do metta for, say, five or ten minutes at the beginning of a sitting, there's a lot of value in just doing one person and really developing just a little bit of momentum with that. So I would encourage you to try that, you know, do one person for a week and then move on to another person or category for the next week and then move on to another category for the next week, like that. And given what you're telling me, I think that for you that might be uh, more helpful because it's going to remove some of the like checking off the boxes thing and just simplify a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'm actually finding that trying to do the meta practice here is making me angry. Yeah. Um, and I can tell you right now, just without getting into the history, I have caretaker fatigue mm-hmm. very badly, very acutely. Yeah. And I have, it's like I have nothing to give anyone. Yeah. And anybody who comes at me, my yes. thought is, what do you need from me? Yeah. So trying. Yes. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not happening. Yeah, good. So do I try to 
push it and still do metta? No. Give myself a break. But you do metta for yourself. It's time for you to receive. So you just do metta for yourself. And with each of the practices that we do, just do it for yourself. And just let yourself receive. That will eventually go away, right? I mean, as far as how I feel. Uh, <laughs> will I like people again? <laughs> yes. <laughs> nothing, is, nothing is permanent. <laughs> nothing is permanent, yeah. I, uh, I, I, I know somebody who did um, an entire three-month retreat all metta for self for th- three months. He said it was one of the most transformative things he's done in his life. So, you know, so if you notice some resistance coming up about doing metta for yourself for like the day, just from just, <laughs> just have that as a, as a frame of reference. And um, yeah, you know, each of us, uh, there's a whole spectrum uh, and I'm noticing that, the, that there are two other people who want to say things, so I'll finish this, and then these will be the last two comments so that we end on time. Um, there's a whole spectrum, and, and in terms of, like, the caregiver, right? And some of us are more on that side of all of our energy goes outwards, and there's none that comes back. And then there's others where it's like, we're really good at self-care for whatever reason, you know, maybe our body is ill or we've had other things happen and like a lot of our energy goes inward and we have to stretch to offer to outwards. And there's no right or wrong. It's just finding the balance, knowing where we are, playing to our strengths and then and seeing, okay, where do I need to grow and where do I need to be nourished? Yeah, and then, and, and then we build a little by little until the trajectory, again, of the practice is starting to dissolve the boundaries. That's the, that's, where we, that's the direction we go in. But remember that image of the, uh, the, the, the pools. So you have to fill the pool first. And traditionally, one starts with oneself. That's actually the traditional place to start. But often, in Western culture, that's one of the hardest categories for people. But that might not be the case for you. So find a start with yourself. Yeah, Jude. Hi. Um, I was noticing that when I was giving metta to a good friend, mm-hmm. and I could literally feel my heart chakra opening, mm. what came up, um, which wasn't just a concept, what came up is, well, this person leads his own life, and he's going to die. Mm-hmm. So I watched how... Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this is beautiful. So the the um there, there's 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 like there are different facets. So one is I kind of offered this little template of these three categories of practice, right? There's this stabilizing concentration practices, insight practices, and heart connection, empathy practices. But they all support each other and and no one of them stands on its own and so the loving kindness practice and the brahma vihara practices bring insight we have insight into the the things that separate us or the places that we're holding on to ill will or we have insight into impermanence when the heart really opens and we feel that sense of connection it puts us in touch with the vulnerability and transience of life and then that's where equanimity comes in. 
where the, the capacity to hold the fragility of life, that's equanimity that has that wisdom that knows, yeah, this is the end and it's okay. This is the nature of things. Everything comes and goes. And, and so even when we're practicing loving kindness, um, the other Brahma-viharas are present to different degrees, but they're just in the background. And so when we hit a place like that, sometimes the equanimity comes into the foreground. Or if something really painful comes up, someone else was talking about before, I don't remember who it was, it might be the compassion that, that comes up. It was you, Margaret, about your friend. It might be the compassion that comes into the foreground. Was that helpful? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll look at that sum with equanimity on Sunday. Yeah, great. So um, I'm kind of playing with and practicing like different people in my life to be the Mm -hmm. source of, uh, or I guess the recipient of metta. Mm -hmm. And um, so I start with like the easiest thing, like my cat. It's Mm -hmm. easy for me to do that. Um, And then I try to challenge myself a little bit more. Like, you know, I start going to ex-boyfriends and I'm like, cool, I can do this. It's great. Mm -hmm. But then what I'm finding is that it's actually like, whenever I go to the people that I love the most, like mm-hmm. my mother, it mm-hmm. act, like my heart shuts down. Like I can't, mm-hmm. I feel like I can't go there. Like it's almost mm-hmm. overwhelming and I feel like I'm mm-hmm. afraid I would just shatter or something. Mm-hmm. wondering if you have any mm-hmm. words for that. Yeah. So... Uh, a couple of things. So one, again, going back to this image of the pools, and um, it's, uh, you know, it's it's neat to explore. And um, again, the practice is meant to be done in the easiest way possible. So when you come up against an edge and it doesn't feel easy, then back off and don't rush. Just continue to gather strength where it's easier. So that's that's one aspect. Um, another aspect is that, uh, so with, and I'll talk about this some more tomorrow, but with each of the Brahma-viharas, there's um, a teaching on their, uh, the qualities that, that um, we mistake for them. So there's what's called the, the far opposite and then the, the near miss, or the far enemy and the near enemy. So... The, the opposite of loving-kindness, obviously, is ill-will or hatred, okay? And that's really easy to spot. But the near-miss or the near-enemy of loving-kindness is attachment. And why it's called the near-enemy or the near-miss is because it's, it can seem like kindness and goodwill, but it's actually a different state. And so with family members or intimate partners, there's often a mix of genuine, unconditional goodwill and friendship and friendliness and attachment, which is, which is about uh, control and identification and needing you to be a certain way or needing you to be in my life. And that has, um, it's that attachment often that creates, uh, that can create that sense of fragility or rigidity. 
Um, and so as the heart grows in strength and stability, uh, the quality of loving kindness uh, can begin to reveal that and eventually dissolve it. The other thing that can happen is a, a little bit similar to what you were saying, Jude, is with, with the, the people we care the most about, uh, it's like the we don't yet have the capacity to hold the depth of love that's there. And so we, we grow in our capacity to feel uh, the depth of caring. Yeah, and so again, that's why it's a, it's a training and a gradual process. Yeah, great. So I want to just offer a couple of thoughts on um, this evening and going home. you happen to be staying if you're not staying at a at home if you're traveling right now uh, thank you no it's okay yeah so one of the gifts of a non-residential retreat is that we get to move between worlds we get to move between this very protected isolated environment back into whether it's our day-to-day home or if you're, if you're traveling and staying somewhere else, just back into the world. And um, this is excellent training for what you were asking about, uh, Jared. Um, so rather than the, the, the extremes, the tendencies, we, we tend to move in extremes. So on the one hand, we might like really resist going home or going back out into the world and feel like like no I don't want to like have like like the corruption of the news and traffic and like you know like feel like this like shell hardening and like getting really small inside that's like one extreme the other extreme is like all right, forget it, I'm back home and like getting online and like doing all your stuff and you know, just like forgetting about the retreat and like going like plowing full steam and back into your life. So <laughs> go for somewhere in the middle. <laughs> you know, don't resist, but also uh, if you can, try not to be too busy. If you can uh, stay offline, if you don't have to attend to anything, don't. You know, just be with your housemates or your loved ones, take a walk, you know, try to just stay in this more reflective, slow pace without needing to be rigid about it. And really pay attention. Pay attention to what your mind does. Pay attention to the habits that uh, arise as you get into your car and go home or as you turn on your phone and see what comes up. It's a really rich ground for insight to move back and forth between the worlds. And the main suggestion I have is whatever you do, try to do it with a spirit of kindness towards yourself, towards others. So you might even like take one or two phrases and just kind of try to keep those going lightly in the background. May I be well, may I be happy, 
May I be well? May I be happy? Someone cuts you off in traffic. May you be well? You're in a rush. May you be happy. May you be safe, you know? And see if you can infuse things with that spirit of kindness. Okay, so um, I'd like to end with, uh, with a short chant. Um, I'll say more about chanting tomorrow. Um, but it's uh, another powerful way of, of practicing and cultivating these intentions. It looks like my attempt at changing the page numbers didn't work. So this is on page 41. <laughs> so this, uh, this chant goes through all four of the Brahma Viharas. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.